0: Welcome to the Come Follow Me with David Ridges podcast. I'm Julie Clough, author of Miracles in the Darkness, Building a Life After Loss. I'm your guest host for the week of June 14th through the 20th, covering Doctrine and Covenants section 64 to 66. I am super excited to dig in today. So let's get started. We're going to look at the historical background and and really the stories surrounding these revelations contained in these sections. And we're also going to be looking at the doctrines contained in the verses and how we can apply the lessons to our life. Without the application and how it pertains to us, we are missing a great deal of the divine impact the scriptures can have on us daily. I'm going to go a little bit backwards. So we're covering section 64 to 66. And I want to start with section 66. And this revelation actually came after 64 and 65. But I want to start with this story of William E. McClellan. Now the heading on this section has changed. My scriptures, I I have a set of scriptures that I've had for many, many years. And and I continue to use. And in my scriptures, the heading says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Orange, Ohio, October 25th, 1831. This was the first day of an important conference. And prefacing this revelation, the prophet wrote, at the request of William E. McClellan, I inquired of the Lord and received the following. Now, because of the research that's being done For the Joseph Smith Papers Project, a new heading, a new um, heading that reflects additional research. And the new heading says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith, the prophet at Hiram, Ohio, October 29th, 1831. So a little different location, um, four days later than what it originally says. And then it goes on to say, William E. McClellan had petitioned the Lord in secret to make known through the prophet the answer to five questions which were unknown to joseph smith at mcclellan's request the prophet inquired of the lord and received this revelation so a little more detail there there about uh, william e mcclellan and the circumstances around this revelation brother mcclellan was about the same age as joseph smith and he was a widower. He was from an area in Tennessee, and he had heard the gospel preached and had traveled to Independence, Missouri to see Joseph Smith, but he'd missed him. And so he ended up joining the church and being baptized in Missouri by Hiram Smith in August of 1831. So this was August and this revelation was given in October. So just a few months later, he was ordained an elder that same August. And then he left the next day to go back to Tennessee and traveling with Hiram Smith on a missionary journey. Uh, William, he preached his first sermon as an elder in the church on August 28th. Now this timeline, he was baptized in Missouri in August 20th, 1831. And on August 28th, 1831, he was in Tennessee giving his first sermon as an elder of the church. So after spending some time there in Tennessee, he left for Kirtland, Ohio with Hiram. And that's when he finally met the Prophet Joseph Smith in October of 1831. When he met the prophet, after he became acquainted with him, he asked Prophet Joseph Smith to inquire of the Lord for him. Now William had had prayed to to God previously. He'd, he'd offered a secret prayer, and he'd asked five specific questions, and he asked those questions with the intent to get the answers for those five questions through Joseph Smith. And he didn't share this information with anyone. But after the revelation that the Lord gave him through Joseph, Brother McClellan wrote, I now testify in the fear of God that every question which I had thus lodged in the ears of the Lord of Sabbath were answered to my full and entire satisfaction. So he went on to become, he was called to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve in 1835, but sadly he goes on to apostasy and he was excommunicated in 1838. So just to, re, to review the timeline, baptized in 1831, went on to become a member of the Twelve Apostles in 1835 and was excommunicated in 1838. The Joseph Smith Project uh, Papers Project gives us some additional information, and this is from the 2018 Doctrine and Covenants Student Manual. It says, William served the Lord faithfully for a time, and in 1835 he was called to serve as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Sadly, William did not heed the Lord's counsel to continue faithful to the end, and later apostatized and turned against the prophet Joseph Smith, When he was excommunicated from the church in May 1838, he admitted that he had quit praying and keeping the commandments and indulged himself in his lustful desires. So let's look at this section that was given to him in 1831 and how that, how we can see the foreshadowing of the Lord giving him specific instructions that could have kept him from apostasy. If he had stayed faithful. In verse 2 of section 66, it says that he is blessed for receiving mine everlasting covenant, even the fullness of my gospel, sent forth unto the children of men that they might have life and be made partakers of the glories which are to be revealed in the last days as it was written by the prophets and apostles in the days of old. So the, the section, this revelation starts with this blessing. It starts with this, you are on the right track. You have received the everlasting covenant. You are in that covenant. And, and by being in that covenant and staying in that covenant, you can become a partaker of the glories of God. This is the promise that's given to all of us as we make those covenants that we are, we are promised. There's a, there's a covenant and a promise. And the, the section also ends with a very similar rehearsal of the, the covenant and the promise. So in verses 11 and 12, this is the end of the section. Keep these sayings, for they are true and faithful. So he's reminded to, to endure to the end, to continue on. It goes on to say, Continue in these things even unto the end, and you shall have a crown of eternal life at the right hand of my Father, who is full of grace and truth. I love these beautiful blessings, and, and each of us can partake of these same blessings as we remain faithful. Again, he's given a command and a blessing and, and the Lord always beckons us to partake of his gospel, to enter the covenant, to partake of eternal life and salvation. I love the verses. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few references. If you want to go back in and study this some more, but when, um, this, the Lord refers to my gospel. He refers to my doctrine. And there's these verses that, that I just love. So in third Nephi 27, 13 through 21, he refers to, this is my gospel. And he outlines the, the need to, to live in faith unto repentance, to be baptized, to receive the Holy ghost and to endure to the end. And so in those verses, 3 Nephi 27, 13 through 21, he says, this is my gospel. In 3 Nephi 27, 13, he says, behold, I have given unto you my gospel. And this is the gospel which I have given unto you that I came into the world to do the will of my father because my father sent me. And then he outlines that he has been lifted up by men, that he stands in this place to draw all men unto him, and the need for repentance and baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. And then in verse 21, he reiterates, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel. What I love about the Book of Mormon is how plainly his gospel is outlined. We see this same pattern in Second Nephi 31, where he refers to my doctrine, and outlines these same core, these fundamental, the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. Again, we see it in third Nephi 11, 32 through 39. He again refers to my doctrine and outlines these same principles and ordinances of the gospel. So in section 66, this revelation is bookmarked by these reminders of eternal promises to William McClellan. But in between, in between these reminders that he's in the covenant, remained faithful, this is the promise that you will will gain eternal life. In between, he is given some specific instructions. And the instructions have to do with where he's to go, and who he's supposed to travel with. And basically, it's a mission call. In verse 9 is a familiar pattern that we see over and over again in the scriptures. When we see this repetitive pattern, we know that it's something we should really be paying attention to. But it's a reminder to ask and ye shall receive, knock and it shall be open unto you. Then it gets very personal in verses 9 and 10, and he's instructed to be patient in affliction, seek not to be in Cumbered, forsake all unrighteousness, commit not adultery, a temptation with which thou hast been troubled. And he is really called out for his particular weaknesses and the things that he struggles with. And what this reminded me of, and and knowing the story and, and understanding where this went, like he had this powerful revelation in which he was given specific answers to specific questions that he had asked the Lord. He bore testimony that it was specific answers to his questions, and that he was um, that he was committed to the gospel. That this had been a really a real faith builder for him, and if he had continued on the path of understanding this revelation, he could have continued in humility and not found himself in the bind of sin that he was being warned about. And it reminds us of the need for humility. I I found a quote from an article on the Church of Jesus Christ dot org website. And and this this says To be humble is to recognize gratefully our dependence on the Lord, to understand that we have constant need for His support. Humility is an acknowledgment that our talents and abilities are gifts from God. It is not a sign of weakness, timidity, or fear. It is an indication that we know where our true strength lies. We can be both humble and fearless. We can be both humble and courageous. I love the end of that. I love the end of that. We can be both humble and fearless. We can be both humble and courageous. And I really bring this story out because in a minute we're going to see a contrast. But I'm just reminded that humility is a quality of strength. In Helaman uh, chapter 3 verse 35, Mormon is in the middle of this abridgment and he talks about how many... In this particular chapter, he talks about how many of the church were lifted up in pride, even to persecution of others. And Mormon says in verse 35, Nevertheless, they, referring to those that had been persecuted, did fast and pray off and did wax stronger and stronger in their humility and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ unto the filling Their souls with joy and consolation, yea, even to the purifying and the sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. They yielded their hearts unto God. And how did they do that? Through fasting and prayer and humility. They became stronger and stronger in humility and firmer and firmer in their faith. And they gained joy and purification and sanctification humility is a quality of strength. Now there's a couple of questions before we move on to section 64 that I want to offer a couple of questions that you may want to reflect on or ponder on. One is, how can I, meaning you, how can we better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and his role in my salvation? And number two how can I go before God in humility and ask for him to show me my weaknesses that I might made strong? Because we can certainly see how William McClellan could have been made strong if he had had humility and accepted this instruction from the Lord in the, in the loving manner in which it was offered. Heavenly Father gives us instruction for our good. So let's move to section 64, and we're going to see some contrast here when we look at section 64. The heading of section 64 says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet to the elders of the church at Kirtland, Ohio, September 11, 1831. The prophet was preparing to move to Hiram, Ohio, to renew his work on the translation of the Bible, which had been laid aside while he had been in Missouri a company of brethren who had been commanded to journey to zion in missouri was earnestly engaged in making preparations to leave in october at this busy time the revelation was received so joseph smith moved his family to the john johnson home in hiram ohio and Sidney Rigdon also moved to the Johnson Farm because they they needed this and they wanted this uninterrupted time to resume the translation of the Bible, and Sidney Rigdon was serving as the scribe. And these um, this translation of the Bible, of course, is what we now refer to as the Joseph Smith translation. There's additional background information that David Ridges offers in his book, Your Study of the Doctrine and Covenants Made Easier. This is part two, sections 43 through section 93. He offers, and I'm, I'm just going to share a little bit of this with you. He says additional background that is helpful in understanding this section has to do with Ezra Booth. He was, he was a Methodist minister and close friend of Johnson, Johnson. So Ezra Booth converted to the church. He converted in May of 1831. He had seen the prophet Joseph Smith, um, command brother Johnson's wife, a, Elsa to be healed. And when Ezra witnessed that, he immediately converted to the church, and then later, shortly afterwards, was ordained a high priest, and he served a mission to Missouri, uh, which was a instruction that he was given in a revelation that's contained in Doctrine and Covenants 52. It goes on to say, he became upset about having to walk the entire distance to Missouri, preaching as they went. It was apparently not the comfort and attention to which he had become accustomed as a popular minister prior to joining the church. He began to find fault with Joseph Smith and other leaders of the church. He had other complaints against Joseph Smith, he felt like the prophet's uh, naturally pleasant and jovial personality was not serious enough for a true prophet of God. Now, remember, he had been a Methodist minister, so he had an idea of of the decorum, like how somebody was supposed to act. He had decided that this was how it was supposed to be. So he felt that Joseph had a spirit of lightness and levity, a temper of mind, easily irritated, and an habitual proneness to jesting and joking. By September 1831, the same year, Ezra Booth was back in Kirtland and was in a condition of apostasy, criticizing the church and rejecting the church. He was excommunicated on September of 1831. So in May he converted, he went on a mission, and in September he was excommunicated. Section sixty four is well known for its counsel on forgiving others, which is appropriate in these circumstances because Ezra Booth went on to to really be a he wrote a um, and published an anti Mormon literature. He published several articles against the church. He participated in the tarring and feathering of the Prophet Joseph Smith. He truly became an enemy of the church. So these were some of the circumstances that were surrounding the time when this revelation was given. And we find in verse 5, it says, The keys of the mysteries of the kingdom shall not be taken from my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., through the means I have appointed, while he liveth inasmuch as he obeyeth mine ordinances. So he's basically saying yes, the living prophet still has agency, and if he were to choose to disobey God and refuse to lead the church according to the Lord's will, he would be removed from office. The, the focus turns to, on the next verse, turns to forgiving others in order to receive forgiveness. So it's just a reminder that Joseph Smith was who was put in place to lead the church at this time, and yes, there was means by which he would be Removed from office if, in fact, he wasn't doing what the Lord wanted him to do, but that was not the case. And so, in verse six, it says, "There are those who have sought occasion against him without cause." So basically, saying people that that think Joseph Smith shouldn't be in the position he's in, but their case isn't valid against the prophet. Verse seven: Never- Nevertheless, he has sinned. Joseph isn't perfect. But verily, I say unto you, I, the Lord, forgive sins unto those who confess their sins before me and ask forgiveness. In other words, Joseph confesses his sins, and he asks for forgiveness, and the Lord forgives him, just as is the case for you and me and anyone else who sincerely repents. In verse 10, we read a verse that is very familiar to us. Verse 10 I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. And in verse 11, And ye ought to say in your hearts, Let God judge between me and thee, and reward thee according to thy deeds. The Lord is in charge, and we are required to forgive all, and then God will decide who, He he's the judge, so he's going to decide who he'll, he'll forgive and who he won't, and and that's... Really doesn't concern us. <laughs> it feels like it does because we feel like we've been harmed or we've been betrayed by someone. But he's very clear here that uh, that he is the judge. He is the judge. But we know that forgiveness is not always easy. Elder uh, President Faust at the time, from the April two thousand seven. Conference said, If we can find forgiveness in our hearts for those who have caused us hurt and injury, we will rise to a higher level of self esteem and well being. Wow, that is a beautiful promise. And in this same section, we talk about obedience and requiring our mind and a willing heart. Skipping all the way over to verse 34. The Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. And going back to the idea of forgiveness, forgiveness may start in our mind and in our conscious intellect, but as we soften to the will of the Lord and develop a willing heart, we will find forgiveness in our hearts and we can rise to a higher level as Elder Fou- or President Faust said, we can rise to a higher level of self-esteem and well-being. In Doctrine and Covenants one, we find another promise for our obedience. I love this verse. It said, Thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. And now we just read these verses about how Joseph Smith also has sinned. He also is human. And just like every person on the earth has sinned, he is subject to the same Promises and the same warnings, and yet he Joseph Smith approached all of the evidence of his mortality with obedience and humility, unlike what we saw with William McClellan. So we have this this story of William McClellan who who didn't humble himself who was warned against the the sins that he was prone to and and didn't heed the warning and didn't humble himself and he became weak and he he fell away and joseph smith in contrast was humble and he was obedient And he listened to the warnings and he was willing to repent and to do better. I love the verses at the beginning of section 64 also that remind us that the Lord wants our success. Everything he does is for our success. From showing us by example how to live, to the commandments that he gives, and the path that he lays out for us, to his seminal atoning sacrifice and resurrection, which makes our ultimate success possible. In section 64, verse 2, he says, I will that ye should overcome the world, wherefore I will have compassion upon you. So all that this he does, all this teaching he does about forgiveness and obedience and humility and warnings and the the promises that are given, these are all given for our heed and for our obedience so that we can benefit and we can win the reward that he has for us. And so I have a couple of questions, again, to consider for pondering. I love questions. I love to look at these verses. I love to pick out the concepts and the ideas and the things that we can apply to our life and see how even historically things uh, things were taught and how we can apply that to our life. And, and then I love to, to think, how how am I applying this? How am I doing in this area? And these are great things to journal about when we read these things and we pull out the principles. So here's a couple of questions for you to consider. Who am I resistant to forgive and how can I, in humility, forgive them with my mind and a willing heart? And in what ways can I build my faith and hope in God's plan and increase my desire to obey and become more obedient? let's look at section 65. In section 65, they refer to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And so both of these concepts are taught in section 65. In fact, in the last verse, it says, may the kingdom of God go forth that the kingdom of heaven may come. So if we look at it, the kingdom of God is God's church on earth. And the reference to the kingdom of heaven, that refers to the millennial kingdom under Christ's rule and reign. In verse 1, it says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And in verse 2, the keys of the kingdom of God, which we just talked about as God's church on the earth, are committed unto man on the earth, and from thence shall the gospel roll forth. Verse 3, prepare ye the way of the Lord prepare ye the supper of the lamb, make ready for the bridegroom. Our ultimate success is being an heir with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. We are called to participate in the preparation for the coming of the Savior. That includes the gathering of Israel through missionary work, through through temple ordinances, through family research that allows us to be a part of the saving of our, our kindred dead. In verse six says, Wherefore may the kingdom of God go forth that the kingdom of heaven may come? President Nelson, President Russell M. Nelson from April 2020 in the Liahona said, You and I get to participate in the ongoing restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is wondrous. It is not man-made. It comes from the Lord who said, I will hasten my work in its time. This work is empowered by a divine announcement made 200 years ago. It consisted of only seven words. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. The questions I have for you to consider from section 65 are, how excited am I about being part of God's kingdom on earth and participating in preparing the world for the coming of the savior and in what ways can i increase my enthusiasm for doing god's work as i read elder nelson i mean president nelson's as i read president nelson's words i see the enthusiasm and the hope and the pure excitement about being about god's work so to complete section 65, verse 6, which is the last verse of that section, wherefore may the kingdom of God go forth, so referring to the, uh, the kingdom of God on earth, that the kingdom of heaven may come, kingdom of heaven referring to the millennial reign, that thou, O God, mayest be glorified in heaven so on earth that thine enemies may be subdued For thine is the honor, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. We end this episode with President Nelson's testimony regarding the Latter-day Kingdom of God, of which we're a part of as we prepare for the coming of the Savior. He said, I humbly testify to you that, as the prophet Joseph Smith proclaimed, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent, till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear, till the purposes of God shall be accomplished, and the great Jehovah shall say the work is done. We are engaged in the work of Almighty God. I pray for His blessings to be with each and every one of you. Those are the words of our prophet. May we all be blessed and excited to be a part of this great work. For more Come Follow Me teaching materials, visit cedarfort.com. CedarFort has thousands of Latter-day Saint books and products. You can order online at cedarfort.com and get free shipping with orders over $35. Have a look at our other podcasts, Everyday Saints, You Made New, Science and Scriptures, The Hope Addiction, and the Write Well podcast. Fill your podcast app with LDS content to keep you feeling uplifted all week long.